Good morning. My name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest with us today, we're so glad that you decided to be here today. Uh, We're in a series called Texting God. We're learning uh, through the summer how to pray, how to uh, do a better job at praying, connecting to God, building our relationship with God. Uh, Before we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I want to explain to you why we do the back-to-school fair. I think it's important that you know why and that you understand why. Uh, in just a few weeks, August the 13th, what we're going to do is in the field, which is, I'm directionally challenged, that way, um, we're, uh, we're going to set up a whole fair in, on Sunday afternoon from 4 to 7, snow cones and hot dogs and free haircuts and free back-to-school supplies and uh, all kinds of things. We're going to spend thousands of dollars to serve families in our community that just have a little bit of a struggle getting the supplies that they need to get their kids ready for school. We're going to take some of the financial burden off. I wish we could take it all. I wish we had more we could give that we could take all of that off so kids could just go to school. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to make a difference. And you may wonder, well, why do you do that? Why would you spend that money and that effort and that energy? Well, I, I, I'm going to use this analogy with you several times over the fall and the winter because we're talking, we're getting ready to ramp up on, on us as a church um, and the mission that we're a part of as a church. But there are people in our community, I don't know if you know this, that are planning today how to sell more drugs. They're sending text messages and they're getting together and they're talking and they're like, how do we do this? What do we do better? They're making plans to do that. Uh, There are people making plans, maybe not in our community, but through our community, about how they can traffic human beings. People planning to do this. Uh, that's kind of a dark thing. Uh, there, there are people that work for Meyer and for Walmart, and they're planning on how to sell more socks. They're investing thousands of dollars, hundreds of man hours to sell more socks. I am not against socks. Thank God for socks. Uh, I'm glad they're planning to do that. But in the grand scheme of things, where are the people who plan to make people's lives better and to ease suffering? Well, guess what? That's the church's job. Uh, The job description of a a Christian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, is a person for others. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a person for others. And so we want to be a church that's for others. We want to be the the hands and feet of Jesus. We think that you're it. And so uh, we do this every year in an effort to say, hey, there are other ways throughout the year that we can serve our community and make a difference and be a blessing. And, And we do that with no strings attached. We don't go, well, if you come here and you come to service three times, we'll give you a pencil. We don't do that. We bless you whether you agree with us or not. That's just the heart and spirit of Jesus, and we want to have that as a church. So that's why we do that, okay? So I want you to go out. I want you to buy as many school supplies as you possibly can, as you can afford. I want you to sign up. Uh, I want you to be a part of it, to experience the day of being a blessing to someone. It's a powerful, powerful thing, August the 13th. Okay, so there you go. There's my, there's my speech. Well, today we're talking, about, um, we're talking about prayer, but we're talking about a specific aspect of prayer. We're talking about how to pray when you hate. I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We're going to read a passage of scripture like we do every week as our, as our practice. We're going to read one of the Psalms. Uh, I'll read it aloud. It'll be on the screen and you can follow along as I read along. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Ever felt that way? I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. You ever felt that way? Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me. That's verses 1 to 4. Now we could stop here 
But the psalmist goes on, he talks about what he wants done to his enemies in verses 24 to 28. Here it is on the screen. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you wound. The psalmist is referring to himself. And talk about the pain of those you hurt. Get this, charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. And all God's people said, I'm not sure that's supposed to be in the Bible. That's what some of you said, right? (laughs) This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want to tell you about the, uh, the very first person that I hated. Uh, his name was Terrell, and he was in uh, elementary school in Omaha, Nebraska, Mount View Elementary, home of the Lions, my mortal enemy, all the way through elementary school. Now, I, I, uh, I'm not going to tell you his last name because I found him on Facebook last night, and uh, <laughs> I don't uh, you didn't like my pastor. I don't want you to do that. Uh, but we, uh, we, would, um, we, would just had, we were just enemies uh, from the time we were little and uh, all the way through elementary school. I was, uh, after lunch, we would go run around the back of the school, and we'd have recess time, and we had Foursquare, and I was, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty good, uh, and I would dominate on Foursquare, but then Terrell would always try to trip me up, and he would gloat every time that he beat me in Foursquare, and he would call me names and da-da-da-da-da. Uh, he would tell lies to the aides and to teachers about me. He'd say, Scott did better than Now, you need to understand, I, was the, I really was. I'm not just making this up. I was the good kid that you could count on doing the right thing. I was that kid, right? So he really was lying about me. I don't just have selective memory. Uh, but he would lie, tell lies about me. I remember in the fifth grade, I had to get glasses. And um, I came to school the first day of fifth grade. Now, I'd been in elementary school, moved there when I was uh, a kindergartner. Uh, with these kids all the way up to this age. Do you remember what they used to call kids who would, and maybe they still do it, when kids get glasses, you know what they call them, the name? Four eyes, eyes, right? Like, like you think now, you're like, well, that's so stupid. But then it was like a dagger to your soul. Four eyes. And so I came in, I remember him coming around, I'm coming around the corner, I'm so self-conscious, I got these glasses on, and I remember Trail doing this. Ha! Four eyes! Right? I hated that kid. I hated that kid. Now, I may, you may go, wait, wait a second. Let me just make sure we're working off the same dictionary. Hate means to have an intense or passionate dislike for someone. Have you ever had that for somebody? Now, I had a hard time because as I was looking on, I, I knew I was going to tell you this story, but then I thought last night, maybe I could find him on Facebook. I found him on Facebook. And then as an adult, there's things on there about he's praising God for this and he's loving Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, but he does love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It was honestly really hard. I didn't think it would be. It was really hard for me as an adult to reconcile what I felt toward him as a child. Now with the person I see he's become as an adult. It was very hard. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And so here's the question. What do you do with the people that you hate? Take it a step further, especially around faith circles. Is it even okay to do that? We're going to talk about that this morning. Now, uh, we, as we're going through this series, each week we're kind of dispelling some of the myths that people have that we carry around with us uh, about prayer and offering a tool and then looking at the psalm and then doing a prayer lab at the end, which we'll do at the end today. Um, so let me just really briefly just tell you some, dispel a myth about what prayer is and what prayer isn't. Prayer isn't, um, isn't like dial-up internet. Do you remember dial-up internet, Do you, some of you? Some of you don't. You don't really even know what I'm talking about, but you would plug the phone line in to the computer and then you hit the button, and 
and it would take like an hour to download a web page. You remember these days, right? If you didn't have the equipment right and you didn't do it right, you didn't get connected. Many people think prayer is dial-up, right? I didn't do it right. I didn't say it right. I didn't have the right equipment. I must not know what I'm doing. I must be stupid. I don't know how to pray. Prayer is not dial-up. Prayer is what we have today. It's, it's always on cable modem. It's always available. This is how the psalmist said, the, the Lord is close to those who call on him. Not far away. I'm not waiting for you to say it right or do it right. Close. Uh, this is why the Apostle Paul, he said that when we pray, we're to pray without ceasing. What he means is, this an, he's talking about having this ongoing, always on cable modem access to God that doesn't stop because something's not right in you or whatever the case may be. You pray without ceasing. It's what Jesus, when he's taught us to pray, our Father, that's what he meant. He's as close, there's a song I used to sing as a kid. He's as close as the mention of his name. That's what prayer is. It's a connection to your Father who loves you. Now, you, you need tools to pray. And if you're here last week, we talked about having a routine at night. You know, that holy high-low. You go through your day and you pray through the lows and you pray through the highs as a closing thing to end your day. Well, you need a way to start your day. And I would commend to you um, what I do in the mornings. I, in the mornings, I, I, do, I, I wake up and when I first thing I do is I pray and I say, God, I, I want to receive again that I am your son and that I belong to you and that I'm significant to you and I matter to you and you, you came to this earth and you died for my sins and you rose again from the dead. Thank you. I'm your son. I want to receive that again. And then I work to be grateful and I say, thank you for this day and thank you for what happened. I have today. Thank you I had this bed to sleep in and thank you I had socks to put on. And thank you. Thank you for all, all of those things. I, my, my dad... Um, is 80, turned 80 this year, and if you know my story, uh, if you've heard me tell my story, my mom died when I was 16, and then my dad remarried a woman, and she uh, died of cancer five years later, and now he's married to his third wife, I tell him he's hard on women, um, <laughs> and uh, Barbara is her name, she's a southern belle, sweetheart of a lady, she won't tell anybody her age, she's older than my dad, but she wears it gracefully, and every morning they get up, they're retired, he was a pastor, they don't have a lot of money, they don't have, uh, he, she can't really move real well, and he can't real think real well, and <laughs> they're kind of a pair. They get up in the morning, and they hold hands, and they pray, and they go through their day, and they say, thank you, God, for this day today. That's how they start out their day. And then, uh, then you just, you submit yourself to God. God, I submit, my life is yours today. Here's my life. Here's what I'm going to go through today. Here's my, here's my uh, emotion. Here's my feeling. Here's my will. I'm going to do what you want today. So I submit my life again to you today. You just have a, a rhythm, a pattern. So I would commend that to you. You would try a pattern like that um, this week. Well, but this psalm right here uh, is a psalm for people who hate. Now, you might not think that's okay, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. Uh, there are categories of psalms. I don't know if you know this. The psalms are a, a prayer book, a song book in the middle of the Bible. And there are categories of psalms. There are uh, songs of what are called lament or sorrow or mourning. Psalm 13 is an example. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me? Well, how, far, how long will you be far off? Have you ever felt that way? And you're sad? What the psalms do is they give us uh, language for the emotions that we feel. There are psalms of praise. Uh, Psalm uh, 145. I will praise your name forever. There are just moments in your life and you just want to say, God, thank you. If nothing better to say than, God, thank you for this. Thank you. I praise you forever. There are psalms of thanksgiving, like Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then there's this category that uh, the commentators call the imprecatory 
psalms. Now, I like that word because uh, it sounds nasty, and it is, because uh, the word, it actually means cursing. It's the cursing, uh, the cursing psalms. Now, a curse is you, is you invoke or you call down a curse on your enemies, on the people that you have a passionate dislike for. And so there are th- this whole category of cursing psalms. I added up, as, just kinda, as I was preparing for this, I d- I'd never done this before, but I added up the number of psalms and figured out what percentage of the psalms are these cursing psalms. And there are 13% of the psalms that are cursing psalms. Now, I don't know if we're meant to read into that, that, you know, 13% of the time we're to bring our hate to God. I don't, I don't know if that's what that means, or, you know, you're, that's basically a tenth, a tithe. We talk about tithing a tenth of your income. Maybe you tithe a tenth of your emotion. I don't know if that's emotionally healthy. I don't know exactly what that is. But I just know that it's saying that a bunch of the time, we feel a lot of things that we don't know what to do with. Now, here's the question for you. Is it okay? Because some of you are really struggling with this right now. You're saying, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me I can hate? Is that okay? Now, for some of you, it's not. Uh, I grew up in um, uh, the tribe of churches we belong to called the Church of the Nazarene. And one of the, the things that's unique about um, what our church attempts to do is we talk about the fact that God wants us to live a holy life, a life holy and completely devoted to him and that God can fill our hearts with love and drive out the nasty stuff inside of us and that we're never stuck and we can start over and we can be different people and better people. Uh, But I got the idea growing up that holy people, Christian people, were people who somehow didn't feel things like anger and hate. In fact, I would hear people tell stories and testimonies like, I remember when God sanctified me and I have not been angry for 25 years. As a kid, I'm like, you liar. It's not, how's that possible? (laughs) But you may be stuck in a loop like that that says that it's not okay to have ugly emotion. And so you may have this kind of little feedback loop in your head that says, okay, well, a Christian is a person who somehow, I'm not sure how, but they rise above all negative emotions I don't rise above all of my negative emotions. Therefore, I'm either not a Christian or I'm not a very good one. Have you ever felt that kind of a thing? And what happens is we make then some areas of our life off limits. And what we're saying is uh, by making those things off limits and saying I need to hide those things even from God is that then I'm saying those things are off limits from the healing power of God and the grace of God and the love of God. I don't know about you, The reason that I need the love, the healing, and the grace of God is because of the things that I don't know what to do with. It's because of the hurtful emotions that go through me. That's why I need the grace of God. So let's just, let's think for a minute about enemies and about hate. Why in the world does someone become an enemy? Well, I I think there's kind of a process is you feel something and you think something and then you want something. So what happens is first, the way an enemy gets formed is you feel something. They do something or they say something that you don't like, or is hurtful, or is mean. And all of a sudden, you have a negative emotion that you attach uh, to that person. You have your Tyrell, or Tyrells. And then what happens is the, the thought process starts to change, and so you hear everything they say through the lens of how you feel about that person, and so you'll hear things that they say, and this is, you, maybe you don't externalize this, maybe you internalize this, maybe you're an extrovert and you say it, and then you get yourself in trouble, but most of us don't say that. But they'll say something that you don't agree with, and you, you know what you think inside? How could they think that? that right? 
And then what happens is you, you hear them wanting things that you feel are at odds because you're projecting all these motives onto them. And voila, an enemy is made. That's exactly how it happens. Now, the, the psalmist says something to us in this psalm and in all the cursing psalms that's psychologically brilliant. Because, see, we're, what happens to us is we think that there are two options when something happens. And so when we feel negative emotion, we, have, we feel like there are only two options. The two options for us are, one, to act on it, either violently, physically, or violently, verbally. So we act on that negative emotion. We think that's one way to go about it, and some people choose that path. Uh, the other option that we think, well, I, I'm not going to act on it. I'm not that kind of person. I'm not like those people who do that. So what I'll do is I'll take it and I'll stuff it, and I'll internalize it. And I'll suck it up, and I'll get mad, and I'll passive-aggressively let that person know that they are making me mad. And we stuff it, and we stuff it, and we stuff it, and we internalize it, and what happens is the bitterness and the resentfulness, resentfulness they go up like this. When we stuff it, something else rises to the top. Now, it even, when that happens, now this is not, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm not saying this always happens, but I've read enough articles by doctors who say oftentimes when people come into the office, they're telling me about a physical symptom that stems from an emotional problem. Now, this is not, I'm not trying to say this is always. I'm not trying to say if you have cancer, it's because you hated someone. I'm just simply saying there's a dis-ease, that's disease, dis-ease in your body from something. Because we have to do something with the feeling, with the hate. We have to do something about our emotions. And the psalmist gives us something that's psychologically brilliant. He says, you don't have to choose those two options. There's actually a third way. Do you know what the third way is? You can take it to the God who made you. And you can take it to him and you can say, here, God, here's the thing that I feel. Here's the strong emotion. And because the fir those first two ways, those are, we're, saying those are off, we're saying those are off limits to God. We're saying, God, I'll handle it. I'll act out on it. Or God, I'm not going to bring it to you. I'm just going to stuff it. And when we bring it, we say that's off limits to God. Then those things are off limits to the healing, the love, and the grace of God. And so the psalmist gives us a picture of the deepest, darkest kind of hate. In verse 28, may they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. In other words, I wish they would go to hell. Right? Even Psalm 137, Psalm 137 is a psalm that the Jewish people wrote when they were exiled to Babylon, and it ends with this curse. Happy would be those, God, who take the babies of our enemies' heads and dash them against the rocks. Now you may go, wait, that's in the Bible? <laughs> yeah. Because what the psalmist is doing is he's saying, you've got to do something with the hate that you feel. You're going to do something. Why not take it first to God who made you and let him deal with it right there? Now, we've got we to think about hate for a minute, right? Where, where does hate come from? Um, how does it take root in us? I, I'd argue there's two really kinds of hate. Um, I'll call them smoldering hate and flare-up hate. Smoldering is the long burn hate that you feel for a person or a group of people. So maybe if you're a Cubs fan, you have a smoldering hate for Cardinals fans. I'm a Cardinals fan, so I just want you to know you're hating me when you do that. <laughs> but a long burn, right? Or, or then there's, there's flare-up hate. Flare-up hate is you kind of are surprised at yourself when you respond the way that you do. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you, right? You select a fidget sword. Uh, 
Um, it's, it's, uh, this flare-up hate, it's, uh, there's an example of this in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is with his disciples and they go through Samaria and uh, the people there don't respond to the message of Jesus and the disciples, we'll put this on the screen for you, um, and when they saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us, this is, this is flare-up hate, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Like, yeah, it caught me off in traffic. <laughs> but Jesus turned and rebuked them, right? That sounds like flare-up hate, but listen, flare-up hate comes from stored, smoldering hate. When you respond in traffic to someone, my wife told me a story this week about someone who she just didn't move fast enough and let out a string of language and words and attitude. Listen, that comes from somewhere. You have a story, you've, you've made a category of those kinds of people who do those kinds of things, and when you see them, see, it's just, it's just air blown on the coals and it flares up. So you have, you have flare-up, you have flare-up hate. Now, there's, there's a problem um, at this point because we can pray about our hate and we can take our hate to the God who made us, but if we were to stay only in the Psalms and not see the bigger picture of Scripture, we would think that God is okay with us staying hateful people. In fact, God justifies our hate and now hates our enemies. In fact, this is this is what happened in the day of Jesus when the Pharisees, they had categories. They thought, well, the Psalms are it. So I sure, I'm gonna, that's psychologically more healthy to take my um, emotion to God. But now God hates my enemies in the same way that I do. This is why religion is used over and over and over again to justify hate. Well, God hates the same people I do. He hates them in the same measure that I hate them. And isn't this the situation of our world right now? I mean, just take the issue of the day and there's a smoldering hate for groups of people, and then it flares up. You just named it. The immigrants hate. The LGBT hate. Donald Trump hate. And it gets, it comes out. It's symptomatic in places like Facebook. And we say things online that we would never say to someone's face, but we post it online. I mean, I, I scroll through your Facebook feeds. You know, I'm, stalk, I'm stalking you. I'm stalking you. <laughs> and I'll see somebody, somebody irritates them or does something or uh, did something they, f- they felt was beyond the pale, and they will let it fly. Sometimes people who are like, yeah, I'm a Christian, and they let it fly on Facebook and use language I will not repeat right here, but it's a version of what James and John said to Jesus, call down fire from heaven and crush them. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's in essence what it is, but here's, here's what I know happens when you stay with the hate. So you got to do something with the hate, but if you stay with the hate, you think God just justifies your hate. Here's what I know. Hate is a cycle that does not end. Hate births hate. Animosity births animosity. Enemies birth more enemies. Listen to me. You will not hate any of your problems away. You won't do it. You will feel better for just a little bit, but all you are doing is stoking the coals and making them hotter. Either either you will get rid of the hate or the hate will get rid of you. Those are your options. Thank God for Jesus, because he changes this story. This is, why, this is why I'm a Christian, because of Jesus, because if this was it, then I got religious justification for my hate. See, it says in the Psalms, I can pray my hate. But see, what Jesus does, see, this, this, is, this is the pattern. Hate brings retribution. Love brings restoration. Did you know that? Hate is a cycle that does not end. Love only restores things. So Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, Jesus knew all about the psalm. He quoted them all the time. But I tell you, what does he say? What's the word? Say it. Love 
your enemies, the, pers the persons you have intense and passionate dislike for. And what? Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, some of you at this point are experiencing some cognitive dissonance. In other words, you're like, wait, it says in the Bible to pray my hate and then Jesus says to love my enemy? What? I, this, this doesn't jive. Make sense of this for me. Jesus is the lens through which we read all of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. If you want to understand what God's like, you always look like Jesus. God is always like Jesus. So Jesus is the lens. We, when we don't understand something, we go, well, how, how, how's this, how does Jesus interpret this for us? Jesus is like uh, M, one of M. Night Shyamalan's films. Have you ever seen M. Night Shyamalan film? Like Sixth Sense is probably the most famous one. If you haven't seen that, it's worth watching. But Sixth Sense, I'm going to ruin the ending for you. It's about a boy and uh, you see the story of him interacting with this psychologist, and um, he the little boy says, I see dead people. And then at the very end <laughs> of the movie, you find out that the psychologist has been dead all along, and the little boy has been seeing and talking to him all along. And so you, what happens if you've never seen the movie, because I just ruined it, uh, <laughs> you see it at the end, and you go, oh, I get it. And you go back, and it reinterprets everything that you saw. You thought it was one thing when you were seeing it, but then when you understand what was really going on, it reinterprets everything. Jesus is like that in the Bible. Reinterprets absolutely everything. Yes, it's better to take your hate to God, but don't end there. Don't stay there. Because Jesus says, not, not that you're, supposed to, you're justified in your hate, but now you're to love your enemy, right? Religion justifies hate. It starts with hate, and it ends with hate. Listen, Christians are not people who don't feel hate and don't feel anger. They just don't stay there. They go on with Jesus to love. And they follow the command of Jesus to love my enemy. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my hate. God, I'm going to take my hate to you, but I'm going to let you transform it into love, and I'm going to love my enemy. I'm not going to stay with my intense and passionate dislike for a person. I'm not going to do it that way. That's not how I'm going to do that. That's not how I'm going to live. Christians aren't people who don't feel hate. They're just people who don't end with hate. Now, um, I told you we're going to do a lab, and if we stayed at this level, you could walk out of the room and not do anything with your hate. You could walk out of the room, and you could still have a names of specific people or groups of people you've decided are beyond the pale, and you would continue hating them, and you would continue hating them in God's name. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray because this is what you do. This is what the psalmist teaches us and what Jesus teaches us is that you pray and you take those strong emotions to God and you, you hand them to God and then you let God move you beyond them. So on the back of your weekly when you came in is this psalm, these verses that we, verses 1 through 4, and then on the back are verses 24 to 28. And you'll notice that there are blanks there where the psalmist says them. I'm going to invite you in just a minute when Tim comes up to play some music to write in the names or of people or, or groups of people that you've decided are your enemy. Now, you may want to do it like this so no one sees. I don't. That's okay. But we're going to take what we feel to God. We're not going to deny it or stuff it or act on it in violence. We're going to take it to God. I love how uh, a guy named William Prince, who was one of the leaders of our tribe of churches, he said this a number of years ago, and I've told you this before. He said, if you hate someone, pray one of two things will become true. You will either stop hating or you will stop praying. And so what you do is you take your hate to God. I feel so intensely. I wish that this person were cut off. I wish this person wasn't even alive. 
I'm honest what, what I really feel, God, but I'm, I'm going to hand it to you. I'm going to hand it to you. And then, then what I want you to do, I want you to write that out there. I want you to be bold. I want you to be honest, like the psalmist is. Then I want you to take, there's a spot on the bottom which just says Matthew 5, and I want you to take that same person's name and write in the words of Jesus. But hear Jesus saying to you, but I tell you, love that person, that group of people, and pray for that person who is persecuting you. And I want you to hand your hate to God. It, it, you, it, let me give you a prayer that you can pray. Um, I, I hate him, but you love him. I hate her, but you love her. Here, you hold my hate and hand me your love. So you're taking the hate to God, but you're not staying there. See, you're going on with Jesus to love. So I'm going to invite you to do that. And this may be the moment. Uh, these, this pile of rocks right here, uh, you've seen this if you've been here. Um, this is, this is uh, what the Old Testament calls an Ebenezer. We sang that song, and Ebenezer is a Hebrew word that means a, a place of remembrance or a, a, a group of stones to remind us what God has done. And if you were here a number of weeks ago, we talked about the grace of God. God has no stones to throw at us, and so we can lay down the stones and you might want during the prayer time or as you leave the building on the edges, you can get a stone. And this might be the moment where you go, I'm going to lay down the hate. I'm going to give you the hate, but I'm going to lay it down. I'm not going to throw stones at people anymore. When I feel it, I'm going to go right to you. And maybe you want to do that during uh, this time that we pray. But listen, I want you to do what the old timers used to call business with God. Between you and your soul, and the people that you have a passionate or intense dislike for as we pray together, okay? Let's do that right now.
God, when we come to this subject, we feel these things so intensely. There are people who have wronged us. There are people who irritate us. There are people that we feel that we're uh, on a different page. The gamut is represented by the people who are our enemies. And God, um, for many of us, it's hard to be honest. We, we think that uh, somehow that will chase you away. You, you know, you see. You see our ugliness. You see our pain. You see our anger. You see our hate. So thank you for this word from the Psalms that tells us we can bring it to you. And thank you, that Jesus, that you are the word that tells us it doesn't have to end there either, and that you can help us to move beyond that with you to love. And we can be the people uh, who know how to handle our hate and to move on past our hate to love. So, Lord, we're going to need all of your power. We're going to need all of your help. We're going to need all of your grace to become people who have enemy love who bless people who curse us, who pray for people who persecute us, who are kind to people who are unkind to us, who cut us off in traffic, who say the wrong thing at the wrong time. We're going to need all of your help. Because, Lord, I, I want to be that kind of person, and I want us to be that kind of church. So, God, um, here we lay down at your feet, where it's safe, our hate. And we pick up the love that you demonstrated for us, your enemies on the cross. And we let it heal our soul and change who we are. We pray this in your name. And all of God's people said with gratitude in their hearts, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always leave you with a blessing. So you'll see the people around you holding out their hands. That's their way of tangibly saying, I would like to receive a blessing. If you're comfortable with that, I would encourage you to do that. If you're not, that's okay too. You can still receive this blessing. May you know the love of God that was completely for you when you were his enemy. And you were at odds with him. And you had intense and passionate dislike for God. But he loved you. May you know that love. May you know that you're sent now to love God, to love people, and to serve the world in his name. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. If you need to leave a stone as you go, please do.